I'm going to ask in advance for some little bit extra of your time today. This really is two messages, but I had to do it in one. So it's important. It's part two of what we talked about last week, and I wrote four introductions for this teaching and settled on no introduction. The reason for that is I read a YouTube comment after last week's message that said, now I understand even less about being grafted in or the oneness and love, not division, we are to become in sharing Yeshua. That was the response. Your message confused me. And I get it. I get it. We are one in Messiah, right? One in Messiah. No distinction, according to Paul, regarding Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free. And to what I said last week, that we are in no way at odds with the church, but we are not the church, that seems to go very counter, counter to what Paul said. It seems at odds with his words. It seems to actually create a distinction, which for most people translates into separation and division. To say we are not at odds, but we're not this. But... In order to get at what I'm saying here, you need to move past, we have to move past something very foundational, and that is in terms of the the, the purpose of this message. We're not really talking about sharing Yeshua in terms of salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. And, And... you know, when you, when you discuss salvation with Yeshua and someone, you're having a, a, a universal conversation. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it's open to everyone, Jew, Gentile, slave, female, slave, uh, free, male, female. It's open to everyone. The barriers to entry into the kingdom through Yeshua are so low. They're so low. Everyone. There's no favorites. That's what he's saying. There's no hierarchy, no better than. Yeshua takes everyone who's willing and he transforms them into someone who is fit for entry into the coming kingdom of God. And there you get to participate in a changed and restored world. It's a lot of words I'm saying, but he's responsible to bring that world according to the Father's instruction, desire, and timing. That's what we're sharing when we share salvation. And it's open to all. And that is what most people would call sharing the gospel, right? Sharing the gospel, that description. What I just said is how I would share the gospel. Now, there are some substitutions in the presentation as Christianity would deliver that. The kingdom is often replaced by going to heaven. There's a very, very, very large emphasis on sin and that kind of stuff, which of course there should be emphasis on sin. That's a part of the equation. That's what Yeshua is removing so that you can enter into the kingdom. But again, apart from from some of those differences in language, we, we, Messianic synagogue, Jews, Gentiles in a Messianic synagogue, and the church, we share this mission We are unified, one, together in the fact that we need what Yeshua can bring to this planet. We need that, and we're we're on the same page. And the church has done an incredible job of sharing Yeshua, better than the Messianic synagogue. I am here because of the church, the Catholic church, no less, 
Don't throw anybody under the bus just because you don't believe and agree with everything they say. I'm talking to you because of the Catholic Church. So, you know, let's give credit where credit's due. To the church has made its business, and I don't mean that with any negative connotation, its business about making followers to Christ. No, I would expand maybe, I would expand that or maybe, um, I don't know, might negatively, but make converts. The church has made converts to Christ its business. That is, come into agreement with the version of the gospel message of Jesus, which according to the church, repent, forgiveness of sins, go to heaven when you die, be a good person until then. Now that's simple and I know there's a lot, but really that's what it is. Repent, be forgiven, go to heaven when you die, be a good person until then. So, you know, Hashem is in the change and restoration business. That's what I said last week. Yeshua is in the change and restoration business. That's what I said last week. The church is in the change and restoration business. That's what I'm saying this week. And we are aligned with them in that. But I want to suggest something very bold. There is much more. There must be more, and here's the reason why. For roughly 2,000 years, the church has remained a body at rest. Now, I'm going to elaborate on that in a Newtonian laws of motion analogy, but hang on for that. A body at rest. Let's clarify something. That does not mean not growing, not active, not doing amazing things. The church being at rest does not mean that they're not changing the world for the better, saving lives, providing medical care. There's an endless list of great things that the church does. I'm talking about orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. Everyone knows that term. Ortho. Correct. Doxy. Teaching. Orthodox means correct doctrine. By definition, if you're orthodox, you believe correctly. And as far as much of what the church's orthodoxy looks like, it is this. This is the truth. This is what we believe. This is how we interpret the scripture. Don't ask questions that push you outside of the belief systems that have been established. Don't go there. Don't ask questions. Stay in your lane. Shut up. Sit down. Now, a lot of different denominations have different things about their orthodoxy, but generally speaking, it's orthodoxy, which orthodoxy is supposed to lead to orthopraxy. Again, correct practice. If you believe right, you act right. That's what it's supposed to do. Orthodoxy to orthopraxy. And that should lead to a better world, and to a degree it has. I mean, Christianity has created a better world in many, many ways, filled with followers of Messiah who do many good good things. But here's a problem that is changing radically before your eyes. The church is struggling by many estimations, struggling badly, Not all churches, but the trends, the surveys, the polls, Barna research, all suggest that the church, and really religion in general, church and synagogue, is in very, very deep trouble. Between the nuns, not the black habit ladies, the nuns, the people who check on a survey, what's your religious affiliation? None. 
And between the millennials and the Zs and the Ys and whatever other letter we attach to generations, and what I call the disses, the disenchanted, the disgusted, the discouraged, the dis, the, they just, they don't want to be there. They're disturbed by what they see and what it is. And listen, COVID didn't help because now you can drink coffee and watch TV, watch TV, okay? And I am very cautious about saying that with any negativity because we have a lot of online watchers. That's not really what I'm talking about. It's COVID caused, well, you know what? Let's just not go back. And eventually then I'm going to have coffee, but I'm not even going to watch the service because eh, I don't really like it. And so now you lost the community, not just the teaching and, and that, you lost the community. So COVID certainly didn't help. But some of this concerns us and our work for the kingdom. And to the YouTube post that I mentioned, so now I understand even less, she went on to say this, I hope for next week's clarification and continuation, conclusion. So, here it comes. Part of the task that we've been called to is to be an outside force for our brothers and sisters in the church. This is not division. It is an awakening that I believe has amazing implications for the church and the synagogue. I'm moving past sharing Yeshua. I'm moving past the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. There is actually more than that. And I know that may be shockingly heretical to say, but it's the truth. We have that in common, but there's a lot of other things missing. The difference is in the making disciples part, not just making converts, people who have accepted the Christian orthodoxy. Because what if, what if, just what if the Christian orthodoxy is incorrect? What if some of the things that are orthodox, assumed to be correct teaching, are incorrect? Because it is far removed from a proper, understand, proper understanding of the God of the Bible and Israel and all these other things. Now, if you're offended by that, then you're part of the problem. And I'm sorry to just put it that way, but that's the truth. That's not nice to say, but just stick with me. And this is, you know, this, what I'm saying, is what gives the impression to people sometimes that we're at odds with Christianity. We're not with, at odds with Christians. We're possibly at odds sometimes with Christian orthodoxy. That's something different. I'm talking beyond new believers and sharing Yeshua. I'm talking about seasoned believers in church that we should be able to have an impact on, challenging them to see a different Yeshua, a different God, a different Bible. Because that is literally what happens. You read and you understand uh, the Bible is a totally different book. These people, even Jesus' teachings are different. And it ends to, uh, up being a different way of believing and a different way of acting. And you're, you're in essence asking somebody to completely change the course they may have been on for their entire life. That's a pretty big ask. 
to turn from a particular way of thinking and start following a new course. Now listen, saving souls with the promise of heaven and a good life can be easy. That is not a knock on evangelism. But that is not a hard sell. Say this sentence and your life will be better and you'll go to heaven. That's a pretty easy sell. Creating disciples is not that easy. It's really not, because that's not how the story writes out when you read the New Testament. It's in there, but there's a lot more in there. And both of these involve a change of course. And you know, really, that is what Yeshua was saying. You may not recognize it as such. Repent, for the kingdom has come near. Do you know what he's saying? Change your course. He's talking about restoring the kingdom. Change your course. You're going the wrong way. Repent. Come this way. And then once you do, once you change the mental course, I want you to change your behavioral course. I want you to start acting differently. To borrow from a very, very successful tech company, think different. That's what he said in so many words. We're asking people to do that. Now, change is a funny word. Change is the number one word in politics, right? What was Obama's campaign line? Change. What, is, what was Trump's line? Make America great again, which means change. I'm gonna, and what politicians say is, I'm going to change your world back to the way you want it. You don't like the way it is. I'm going to change it back to the way you want it. That is an easy sell. That's why politicians use it nonstop. Change. I'm about change, change, change. Change to what you want. Vote for me. Guess what you're asking people to do? The exact opposite. If you talk to people about some of the things that we talk about, Torah and holidays and Shabbat, you're asking people to change out of their comfort zone, not settle back into it. Yeshua did the same thing. Guess what? Ready for a shocker? People don't like the kind of change that we talk about. People don't like being out of their comfort zone. That's irrational. And you know what? It's, 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 uh, it's hard work out of your comfort zone. Whether, uh, whether you're a jaded non-believer, we're asking you to think something. Or a lifelong follower of, of Christ in the church, we're asking you to think something different. Or an Orthodox Jew, think something different. Or a secular Jew, think something different. We're in essence saying God isn't what you've been told. The Bible is a different book than you think. Not that you're wrong necessarily, but think about a different course. And that's going to lead you straight into, here's the big sell. You ready? Hey, interesting conversation. I want to share some things with you. And you know where it's going to end you up? Smack dab in the middle of your discomfort zone. Who's excited? I want to be uncomfortable. Jewish people, Gentiles, it doesn't matter. Guess what? Nobody likes that kind of change. 
But that's built into the system. And now we move into my Newtonian analogy. The church is a body at rest. You remember Isaac Newton's first law of motion? An object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an unbalanced slash outside force. The first and obvious thing to note about that is you can apply that to your own brain. What you think is what you want to think. And you will not stop thinking that unless something outside of you impacts you to think differently. I'll spare you the physics lessons from Sir Isaac, but realize that what I'm saying relative to our subject matter, we are in the business, so to speak, of spurring people to change the status quo. You are an unbalanced force. Bet you've never been called that before. Unbalanced, I know I have, but unbalanced force. I mean it in a positive way. Oftentimes, you're acting upon objects at rest. And listen, the church as a whole has been at rest since the Council of Nicaea. That's not true. That is not true. The Reformation, Martin Luther, Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, Azusa Street, Pentecostal, not one of those movements asked Christians to reconsider their place relative to the Torah and its influence in their lives, or to reconsider many of Yeshua's teachings separate from Christian orthodoxy, or to consider modification of their calendar or their celebrations or their day of worship. None of those revivals pushed into that kind of discomfort. The church's established doctrines have kept the church in a general state of homeostasis, and that is causing a loss of effectiveness in the world. An object at rest. Now, I believe that Messianic Jewish teaching and practice, while certainly not perfect, certainly not immune to error, certainly not descended directly from heaven, into my MacBook so that every week I just get a message from heaven and give it to you. I'm not suggesting that, but I am suggesting that Messianic Judaism is a positive, unbalanced force needed in the world, and particularly among our Christian brothers and sisters. And that is contrary to the natural order. Objects and people tend to stay at rest. The word is homeostasis. The tendency toward a relatively stable equilibrium between interdependent elements, especially as maintained by physiological processes. I'm reading a book that's called Peak. It's about developing expertise being the best, how people become experts. It's an amazing book. And he talks about homeostasis. And I have way too many notes about this because it's just fascinating, so I'm just going to tell it to you. Your body is a, is, is a miracle. You know that, of course. But the God-given ability your body has to maintain balance, homeostasis in your body, down to the cellular level, cellular level, 
individual cells maintaining, you know, levels of water, balance of positive and negative ions, keeping things at balance. And your body does that and it's good. Now those systems can be disrupted sometimes and vigorous physical activity will cause things in your body to change. Your blood pressure increases, your respiration rate increases, blood moves to areas where it needs to do something. Why does it want to get there? To put you back in balance, to not let you be outside of your comfort zone. Your whole thing needs to happen. You maintain stable body temperature, stable body, generally body weight, except around all Jewish festivals where we eat, you know, donuts and you are in balance, and sometimes, you know, if you do some vigorous exercise, it might change. Now, that, that change, though, sometimes is needed on an ongoing basis. You need to make a change. That will not happen unless sustained activity pushes your body beyond its homeostatic mechanisms. That changes things. If you start running three miles a day every day, your body is going to change. It's going to change your legs. It's going to build new capillaries. It's going to do things. And that is, first of all, uncomfortable. Secondly, the benefit of that change is you are stronger. Something in you, it's got to be a positive sustained external impact, but you are stronger, you're healthier, you're the better for it. Your homeostasis must be disrupted. So I invented a term for one aspect of our business, business of the kingdom. You ready? Theological homeostatic disruption. Now, that's insider language. You can't tell people. What do you guys do at your synagogue? Well, we're in the theological homeostatic disruption. That's what we do. You don't say that. But first of all, I want to tell you how that works and what that looks like. Because that's all your, that's part of what you do. That's part of what you do when you disrupt somebody's balance, when you set them in motion. First of all, you mind your business. That means two things. One, you better be in control of you. You earn the right to have conversations and share things with Christians. You earn that right. You don't walk up and start spewing off information about how people are wrong and all this. You earn that right. And that starts with managing your own life, your own business, serving God, following Yeshua and his instructions, loving others. There is no hope of positively affecting anyone, anyone, if your life is in disarray. People, I'm sorry for the cliche, people need to see Yeshua in you. That, that, that is the first part of being able to have any hope. And you need to avoid all sense of pride or privilege. You can't see fruit if you can't produce it. Your lives need to be fruity. Fruitful, full of fruit. The second part of minding your business is this. You're asking people to change. 
You're asking people to become something different. And, and, and how you live your life may just be the thing that challenges them. You may not have in-depth conversations, but it's a challenge nonetheless. A challenge to what people know to be true. Not as a return to comfort to what they like, but a new level of homeostasis. And because of that, because we are in Yeshua's business, who was in the Father's business, we are in the business of theological homeostatic disruption, and you can expect resistance to that. You just better be tough. you got to have a thick skin. Think about those guys in Israel walking around saying what they were saying. Think about Yeshua. you got to be tough. you got to be thick-skinned. Resistance can be expected, and you know that. But here's the problem also. I want you to be very aware of everything that I'm saying. Talking about homeostasis and, and comfort and balance and pushing a little bit. Remember, remember, athletes, for example, they can push and they can push and they can push. But if you go too far, too fast trying to get somewhere, people get hurt. of their comfort zone just to do that. You have to have balance in your unbalance. Does that make sense? I hope so. And that thing, that thing of watching people do this incorrectly is what puts, odd, puts us at odds. Pushing, prodding, criticizing without first of all having the right earn the right to suggest change, to move too fast. For everyone in this room, you didn't wake up one day and say, hmm, I believe the Bible is saying something very different. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. I think I'll go to a Messianic synagogue. Or, you know what? I like Friday night as a great day for the Sabbath. It seems like that's a good idea. Let's start doing that next week, honey. It's years sometimes in the, in the making. So you have to be sensitive, you know, to not hurt people, not push them too far. Any, encur any, any encouragement to change, challenge to a status quo must happen within certain boundaries. We are about change, but it's built on making disciples, not just for change's sake or just to be disruptive, disgusting, and divisive or upending an apple cart. That's for other people. I wish they wouldn't do it, but they do. That's never going to be us. Why do we do this? Why is it even our business what anyone else does? What gives you the right to talk to anybody about their theology and what they believe? Well, it's not about rights. We are in the business of changing hearts and minds because we know how beneficial the work is. We know how beneficial the discomfort and the growth is. We know that the other side of theological homeostatic disruption has a newfound, unbelievable joy of seeing God, living with God, doing this. That's why we do it. Not because we need to be right or not because we need to hurt anyone or, or whatever. 
We do it because we have been disrupted. And we have changed. It's like a doctor who says to a morbidly obese patient, you have got to exercise. You've got to get yourself out of this. There's a whole nother world waiting for you on the other side if you just get uncomfortable for a little while. In the book Peak, the author says, the reason that most people don't possess extraordinary physical capabilities, athletes, isn't because they don't have the capacity or even the desire for them, but because they're satisfied to live in the comfortable rut of homeostasis and never do the work that is required to get out of it. They live in the world of good enough. And for most people, even in their relationship with God, good enough is good enough. It's important to remember that there's always the option to go further if you wish to become better at something, including knowing God and connecting to Messiah. It's not everyone. Everyone is not interested in anything that we have to say. Yeshua started with 12 people who were interested, who were on board. Here you sit because of them. I have, listen, I have no problem if someone has no desire to, to push beyond. I'm concerned with the ones who, God's, who God brings into the sphere, who are interested. I have no need whatsoever to be critical of anyone who feels that what they believe, have believed, and always believe is the right thing, and that that's all they'll ever need we are not anyone's spiritual police. I certainly am not. And if good enough is good enough for you, good. But that is not Messianic Judaism. That is not our calling. That is not our business. Our business is about knowing, experiencing, sharing changing. It's not the Messianic Judaism I want to help build where we just say, uh, it's, it's fine. And I think most of you know that feeling and are here maybe because of it. There's no good enough with our faith. Most people think, most people pursue good enough in everything they do. Their jobs, their relationship, their health. Life has so much more than good enough, but especially your relationship with God. We can be content, but not satisfied. And our eternal destiny does not rest on how much we know or whether we've studied more or how much Talmud we know or none of it. I would never suggest that. Last week and today, I said, the Father and the Son were in the challenge and restoration business. And the church in the area of, of sharing Yeshua is, is in that too. I see our contribution a bit differently. Of course we want to help people know Yeshua. But, but, but I think expanded to certainly to know him as Messiah. 
But to know him as rabbi, to be a disciple, to be, to, you know, people looking for more, for good enough are everywhere and they're growing. But there are also a lot of people who are not content with good enough. And that is our audience. And that live stream, everybody on that live stream right now, Carrie and Cheryl Myrick, I mean, just I, everybody in here, all new people, I see it all the time, coming because good enough is not good enough. There has to be more. It is beyond the orthodoxy. It is in the discomfort zone. And that, that's, not, that's not a negative thing. Some of you online will be in church tomorrow. Some of you in this room will be in church tomorrow. And you know you're not at odds with anyone there. But I really do hope you see what you're capable of doing to change and restore in a good way. I want you to just imagine this, and I'm almost done. Imagine the church. Becoming a place where Shabbat is honored and understood. Shabbat, even, even if they meet on Sunday. Imagine a church where the Pharisees are seen as contemporaries of Yeshua, not the butt end of every single sermon about hypocrisy. Where they're seen as the contemporaries, Yeshua's brothers. And that Judaism in the New Testament is not seen as dead and gone. Imagine a church where Paul and Torah are discussed in their Jewish context and people have a desire to understand how the Torah fits into your life. Imagine a church. Imagine Shalom Macon and Ingleside Baptist. It's Macon's really only example of a megachurch and it doesn't quite hit it, but Ingleside Baptist, Baptist and Shalom Macon gathering this fall for Sukkot, the festival of tabernacles, because they get it. They understand the calendar. And they're still doing everything they do about their church on Sunday, but yet inside, they've been theologically disrupted in a beautiful way where they're stronger and more healthy in their faith. Imagine that. They would never have to leave their church. That is not the requirement. Our way, Messianic Judaism, is not for everyone. It doesn't have to be. We don't need to pull people out of churches, criticize churches, be at odds. People don't have to leave where they are for us to succeed in our mission. Part of our mission. They just need to leave some orthodoxy behind. I told you last week that there was a meme that inspired all of this, and that's it. That's what I got in a text message from Linda Plowden. You can help people do that. Because I believe, humor aside, God wants us to think to meditate, 
and to be beyond just content, just satisfied. We should always be content. We should always find comfort in the Lord. We're not at odds with the church. They can teach us things about serving the world with love and compassion and grace. And friends, we, we, we have some things to teach them that could change and restore the church to a thriving disciple-creating body. We can prepare for the kingdom together. There is resistance to leaving the comfort zone. Mind your business. Know your calling. Understand what you have been given this pearl of great price. The world and the church need you. And all of a sudden this week, it changed. Fifty-seven children represented. Nine staff and teachers represented in these three pieces of paper. All of the theology in the world won't fix that. We must be changed. And we must do it together. Our cry, our prayer is for the kingdom of God to come, for Him to bring it. We must do it together. Pray for those families. All of them, all of the shootings, and there's just something so gut wrenchingly terrible about these babies. We must do it together. Do what you can in the department of theology and thinking and going beyond good enough. But for the sake of heaven and for the sake of life, let's Bring the king back. Pray that God will work through us to affect this world and we can see him come back. And he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord God has We have work to do. We must do it 